invite you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the gift to come together in person and online to huddle together in the growing light of the days as finally the days grow longer and the nights grow shorter. We thank you for this opportunity to tell the old story once again of how much you love us, how you dwelt among us, and what that means for all of us. Let's pray, or let, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, a friend of mine mentioned that in France, where he's from, the phenomenon of ubiquitous Christmas music was not customary as it is here in the US. Maybe Stefan can uh, confirm that. Uh, and while I wouldn't exactly call myself a Christmas music fanatic, the thought of not being able to catch a snippet of the Vince Guaraldi trio, Mariah Carey, or even Mannheim Steamroller everywhere I went during the holiday season seemed so sad. Christmas music is key to letting us know that, that Christmas is here, especially here in California, right, where you can go body surfing in December. But for all of the holly jolly, I don't want a lot for Christmas, belted out in the sparkle spangle of a well-fitted Santa suit, the power of a Christmas song isn't so much in the dramatic 20-second stretch of the crescendo of O Holy Night, or even a particularly delicious chord in Wilcox's arrangement of O Come All Ye Faithful. Do we have any music nerds in here? Yes, I read that New York Times article. Uh, no, the power of Christmas music is in the deeply subversive nature of its lyrics and mutinous nature of its message. Because, well, let me put it this way. A long time ago, there was born a child who grew into a highly revered man. This man had many titles, divine, son of God, Lord, redeemer, God from God, liberator, and savior of the world, just to name a few. He came to bring peace. When people talked about his birth, they said it was the beginning of a new creation and that he was born from heaven and had brought peace to the land. This man, of course, we all know is none other than well, how about we say his name together on the count of three? One, two, three. Caesar Augustus. <laughs> oh, this is awkward. The thing is that indeed many of the same names and titles that the gospel writers use to describe Jesus are the very same titles used to describe uh, Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the Roman Empire during Jesus's life. They used to describe Jesus with those same titles. In fact, they were, so, they were first used about Caesar Augustus. And this isn't a coincidence, actually. The authors of the Gospels and the Apostle Paul employed the same titles, propaganda, and slanguage, a term I learned a few years ago, that were used to describe Caesar and the Roman Empire to Jesus. And while they may have been the same words, they meant something very, very different. Like a film negative, the rule and reign of Christ and the Christ child uh, was the complete opposite to the empire of Caesar. This story, the Christmas story, describing who Jesus is and what his arrival is about, is an intentional and direct challenge to the Roman Empire story about Caesar. On the one hand, you have Pax Romana, or the peace of Rome, and on the other, you have Pax Christus or the peace of Christ, and what these mean and everything about how they are embodied live in direct opposition to one another. Pax Christus did not feature legions of, of armies. The Prince of Peace didn't have venture capital or the latest defense technology backing him. He was a vulnerable, defenseless baby born homeless. 
And instead of the brightest minds or the most polished of courtesans surrounding him, he had his parents, bales of hay and a few stable animals to keep him company. So if there is a lesson to be learned, perhaps it is not to let your present circumstances determine your future possibilities. And while that may feel a bit saccharine as a takeaway, there is actually something deeply true about it, especially in uh, our story for this evening. The shepherds are the first ones to hear about Jesus' birth. And the first, words about this, uh, the first words about this birth is that it is good news, wonderful news, joyous news for them. Which, if you're a shepherd, would be super sus, as the kids would say, because it sounds too good to be true. Here's the thing about shepherding, at least back in the day. It was the work that no one else really wanted to do. It's not an accident that they are the first ones to hear this because this is first and foremost good news for them and people like them. By and large, shepherds were seen as lying, good-for-nothing thieves. And this wasn't just like a general prejudice. In some places, it was codified. The testimony of a shepherd didn't count in court. And there were even certain towns whose laws stated that shepherds were not allowed within their city limits. Religious people didn't like shepherds because they worked on the Sabbath, which meant that they were ritually unclean, which, if you think about it, is particularly messed up because I'm sure there were at least a few religious people who actually owned sheep and needed shepherds to take care of them so that they could stay clean, but that's a different sermon for another day. And so I think the question is this. What is it about Jesus' birth that makes it such good news, joyous, wonderful news for people like shepherds? When you spend enough time being told by people what a low-down, good-for-nothing human being you are, when the only thing you hear from religious people is that you are unfit for God and ineligible for redemption, chances are you just might start thinking that there's a little bit of truth to their words. And once you start thinking that, it's not that far of a jump to believing what they say God is saying about you. And by the time you get there, what's the point of even trying anyway? And so there you are, hanging out in a field in the middle of the night with some sheep, basically having kind of given up and given in to the fate that everyone else has written you off to, when suddenly there's this person, or person-ish being, standing in front of you, telling you that God is doing something marvelous, and it's good, good news for you? No, I don't think so. The way that Christians tell the story of Jesus is that God came to earth in human flesh. And we've heard it so many times, it'd be so easy to fly right by it. But while I've been thinking a lot, actually, about alienation and rejection, I've been thinking about pain and loss and despair and power. I've been thinking about the people who found themselves halfway through Advent laid off or hard hit by betrayal, depression, illness, or a general post-pandemic sense of disconnect. I've been thinking about grief. Not just grief that comes when someone dies, but also the grief that comes with things not turning out the way that we had hoped. Or grief that accompanies, accompanies a transition of any kind, even a good kind of transition. All things that I know that many folks in this community are grappling with. I've had some conversations. I've been thinking about these things and how isolating our human experience can be, no matter how many people we might be surrounded by. And I see how, how people are inching and running to get as far away from that kind of pain as possible. 
numbing ourselves in whatever form we can access, self-sabotage, alienation in relationships, a stiff drink at the end of the day, compulsive shopping, binge watching, and eating. And I know that this does not sound like the kind of cozy Christmas Eve sermon that everyone should be enjoying to get into the Christmas spirit, but I'm not done, okay? I've been thinking about these things, and frankly, it's in seeing how desperate we are all to get away from our pain that I spy with my little eye the truest miracle of that strange night millennia ago. That God saw the lonely, messy, human existence that is often ours, and instead of increasing the distance, instead of creating a cushion to dull the pain, God came close, like so close. So close, God could smell our breath and hear that faint little wheezing that happens when you're trying to breathe through a stuffy nose. So close that God could taste our fear and anxiety, touch our clammy, nervous hands, could see the ways that we sometimes feel like we are barely holding it together and isn't embarrassed for us. God sees, understands, comprehends, and instead of slowly walking backwards out of the room, God leaned in close and joined us in our pain and confusion and anxiety. How many of us would be willing to do the same, really? And so here is the Christmas miracle. God became human and didn't flinch. God became human and didn't just hang out with all the good-looking, wealthy, intelligent, well-mannered people. God came and made entry into this world with no healthcare coverage and no color-coordinated nursery with a three-in-one crib. God came to earth in the most basic Ford Fiesta model of human that ever existed and deemed it good enough to make a life in. And this is good news, comforting news, hopeful news, because for us, it, because in a world where, where even your airline gate lineup has you tiered from platinum double gold elite all the way down to A, which you thought was pretty good until you heard them call out single bronze coach elite, it is hard to experience our humanness without feeling some kind of shame or embarrassment about it, which is why we do things like a four-foot stretch of red carpet lane for, any, for people with only a certain status to gain entry onto the same plane that everyone else is flying on. Why the number of likes on any given post light up the reward centers in our brains, and why we create laws stating that shepherds aren't allowed within city limits. We can't stand each other, because in so many ways, we find it difficult to stand ourselves. What God did that night so long ago is so dramatically counter to what our instincts tell us to do in order to survive. God gave up all the trappings of godliness, the things that make us feel safe, and powerful and in control to love us, and especially the least among us, to companion us in our human experience, to help us be healed and dismantle all the things that make us less human, that convince us to be less human. And so, and so the message of Christmas, the message of Emmanuel, of God with us, is in part to remind us that we don't have to be afraid or embarrassed of our pain or our sorrow or our limitations. And even more than that, God is with us in it. Not because God has to, but because God wants to. God wants to be close, wants to join us in all the ways that we experience joy and pain and community and even betrayal, not in a voyeuristic way like a semester abroad adventure or an internship and maybe not even to offer compassion for all the things that make us human. God is with us 
to remind us that while we may be a bit rough around the edges, and we might even be pretty awful from time to time, we are also beloved. We are beloved. You are beloved. And you are worthy of that love. Not because you've done anything to earn it, but because God made us and called us good. God chooses us. But the question is this. Will we choose God back? It's no mistake that Luke gave those grand titles to a baby whose birth announcement went to first to a few foreigners and a handful of seemingly shady dudes working the night shift. And it's no accident that this baby became a refugee and a foreigner himself for the first 12 years of his life. It's in these kinds of circumstances, the muck and mud of life together, that God puts God's money where God's mouth is, where God experiences firsthand the sting of poverty and rejection, as well as the saving grace of community and a sharing economy. The angel said to the shepherds way back then and to us today, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, I am bringing good news. Good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today. And for all of their cynicism and street smarts, for all of the ill treatment and stop and frisking they had endured, there is still something deep inside that welled up with hope when they heard this news. Something perhaps they didn't even realize was still in them. God is not afraid of our pain, and God is not ashamed of our missteps or mistakes. In fact, God is most present when we choose to face them, engage them, and lean into them, because that is how we begin to experience the good news. And so maybe that is how we choose God back. When the angels turn to leave, the author of Luke describes how the shepherds said to each other, let's go right now and see. And because mama didn't raise no fool, they said to each other, let's confirm what has been revealed to us. So they dropped their staffs and went running toward Bethlehem, and they saw something strange and beautiful and miraculous. They saw that they were loved. God chose them. But maybe that's how they chose God back. And maybe that's how they went from being low-down, good-for-nothing thieves to members of God's chosen family. Merry Christmas. God chooses you so that you might choose you and so that we might choose each other. Amen.